0: here at the neil haley show on the total celebrity segment and i'm excited to welcome program former nfl player college football player all-stars we're going to talk about john patrick Sullivan. john thanks for stopping by how are you hi neil thanks for having me really great to be here and i'm
1: excited to explore with you
0: i'm excited to explore with you first now (laughs) Did you always want to be a football player
1: (laughs) yeah that one that was decided early on in my life i uh was a troubled kid. I you know, a little bit of a, um, not a classroom uh, student. So I was outside a lot, that, that little edge and sports was a way for me to be focused, organized and um, get uh, recognized in some way other than academics. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Long Island, Massapequa. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, so, so when I was thinking you went to the University of Illinois, play college right. football was the area where you were located big for high school football?
1: Well, interesting enough, that's a good question because um, the coach at Illinois at that time was Bob Blackman and he was up in Dartmouth before and he had a lot of connections back in the East coast. So they spent a, a lot of time back in that New York metro area, uh, area recruiting. And that's, they found the, uh, they found me out in Long Island, and um, they really hustled. They really tried really hard. Uh, I was recruited heavily when I was a senior in high school. I went to—they don't allow this anymore—but I went to seventeen different universities to go check out which one I wanted to go to, and um, it was a bit overwhelming, I must say. <laughs> it was too much. So you I really had—you really were recruited highly, then. It sounds like. Yeah, I was. I had a. I would haze my. A living room one day in high state michigan you oh, had woody um,
0: hayes in your room.
1: yeah he came to visit was me. he a nice guy he
0: was he was intense you can feel the intense. Sure. Exactly. so you weren't
1: surprised about what woody hayes did later then right yeah right but he he tackled that guy on the sideline <laughs> he was uh, he was quite intense but you felt that in his personality you know he you know he didn't shut it off even though he was trying to be on his best behavior at the uh, living room with my mom and dad um but it was just an interesting time you know you're 18 years old and there's a lot of pressure a lot of people adults you know this is their livelihood and they're really intensely recruiting seniors all over the country and it's their job so it gets really um a big deal it becomes a really big deal especially schools like illinois it doesn't have the ohio state michigan usc um following so they have to work twice as hard and uh, that's what they did with me they just really put on the uh, the red carpet that's it great important.
0: it's important right that red red carpet for sure and then so so yeah. you chose illinois and why
1: well, the Illinois uh, came into uh, first. I had a great visit. I, I, there was a couple of kids from Long Island that were already out there, and they showed me around. And I had a nice visit, but the key was one night. I'll never forget. I was sitting in my bedroom reading, and my mother got, yelled up the stairs and said, "John Patrick, Dick Buckus is on the phone." <laughs> and I thought it was one of my best friends who lived around the corner was also another football player he was the quarterback on the team and I said mom that's Geiger you know don't bother with him just tell him I'll call him back later and she goes no no it's really Dick Buckus <laughs> so I walked down and here's Dick Buckus on my phone and he started getting involved in the recruiting uh, aspects and um, got to meet him a couple of times out there in Illinois and then um I was really sold on that linebacker tradition. You know, I was playing uh, middle. I wanted to play middle linebacker. I was really set on that. Um, and he, you know, became like a mentor. And I, I think I told you this before, but I broke all his records at Illinois. Um, yeah. And it was, um, it was really. Well, you know, I had a great experience out there. We, we were a mediocre team at best, but the great news was, you know, I got to uh, get recruited they find you like the Chicago bears were watching Illinois kid, you know? And so they recruited me in the sixth round in 1979 draft. And it just kind of rolled from there into uh, training camp. Great. Uh, Buddy Ryan was a linebacker coach wow. and um, had a great first preseason. I was the MVP on defense we had an interception. And I got hurt at the end of the, <laughs> that game with the jets. It was, it was a preseason game and, I couldn't walk, in that, like, for ten days, and that oh, was nice. it. <laughs> there was some guy right behind me stepped in, and they let me go soon afterwards. Um, and I, I got picked up almost immediately by the Jets, though, uh, so that was great. I didn't miss that season '79, and um, uh, I had a, my little my little dance up in that big league with the Jets. You know, I had my two and a half years with them, and it was great. I had a great time because I was from New York. Uh, I was always the guy in the locker room looking for lots of tickets. (laughs) So it was, it was a great experience going home, playing. And um, it was, um, it was the evolution. You know, this is where I really want to get into the, you know, that intense experience at such a young age. I think I was done playing. I went to Canada for a while and I went to uh, United States football league, but I was done like I was 25, 26. And my whole life was, you know, pre-football, I mean, it was... So you played, the was, NFL, you played in the USFL as well? Yeah, I played in the United States Football League with the, uh, with the Chicago, what they call the Blitz, I think it was. Blitz, George yeah. Allen was the coach. Right. It was a really good, exp- that was a good experience. Mallers,
0: the Pittsburgh Maulers were part of that league, and the uh, yeah. Washington Generals were owned by Donald Trump.
1: Right. 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 I got to play with them for a little while. That was the end of my career. I remember they transferred me because they were just looking for fresh meat by that time. So they sent me over to the generals and I'm running around in practice one day. And the coaches screamed at me and I just got there. I mean, it was like my first day, like I was supposed to know the whole playbook. And I just said that's I took my helmet off, threw it on the ground, walked in the locker room and did I you, got a shower. That, was the, you that get was the tr- tr- end sure. of tr- the owner. Did you, yeah, Trump Trump the the owner. Owner? Did you get to meet Trump Did you get to meet him ever? I never got to meet uh, Trump. I got to meet Herschel Walker. He was on the team. Oh, yeah. Right. Was, you know, so that was an ex- experience uh, being with him and the team. Um, but it was just – that was that was the end of my str- – I was really I, – I think we talked about this earlier, but my body was really left at University of Illinois with all the tackles I made. And I put in – they put – they really, you know, got their money's worth out of me. <laughs> And by the time I got to the pros, I already had knee surgery. My shoulder should have been operated on, and it was just, my body was saying, "Shelf life is over, brother. <laughs> time out, <laughs> go." But I, you know, you it, You know, you're young, and you think you can still do it. And um, I just kept on banging it. You know, my heads, and it came out to be, uh, you know, finally, it was, you know, it came out of retri- retirement twice. You know, once for United Football, for Canada. I went to Canada first. And then I went to the United States Football League after that, after like a year after Canadian um, ball. And uh, I just couldn't let go because it was such a big part of my life. But that's, you know, the next phase of that. I don't know if we want to get into it right now, but that was the the spiritual awakening that happened during football. Really? So tell me the story yeah.
0: about how that awakening happened during football.
1: Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about that because what I felt when I was thinking about mm. talking, you know, the the samurai warrior right that was like the zen beginnings of how to take these uh uh, warriors really you know kick-ass guys like you know uh, um uh spiritual warriors here they are you all zenned out and they said we got to do with something with them after football you know what do we do so they came up with this spiritual practice, the Zen, you know, very strict, sitting, quiet, stillness, you know, meditating is not easy for these warrior guys. So in a way, I kind of use that as a metaphor for me is that I learned all this stuff about being present in football, being in the moment. You know, if you're thinking about anything else on that football field, you know, you're going to get your ass handed to you on a, on a sideway platter, you know. So you got to be so focused and so in the moment. Yes that this is a training that you don't get anywhere else. And martial arts is another way, you know, any kind of sports, I should say, not any, but football especially, because you're going to get hurt if you're not, you're not, not knowing where to go before the ball snap, actually, um, where you want to, where you're leaning, what you read the defense offense alignment, you read the quarterback eyes, eyes, so he can kind of give you a, a little bit of a clue where he's looking at, where the ball's going. So that's where I started developing this, um, i call it an inner sense. And then after football, I went to work for Budweiser, you know, typical jock thing to do. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in the sales room one day and I'm saying, <laughs> oh, we just won the Bud Lighted tournament, whatever it was, the Bud Light uh, sales uh, uh, quota. And so, and everybody shook hands and everything. And it was just, there was something missing from me that was yeah. like, really, you know, that wasn't on the, energy that I got from playing sports and then a couple other personal things happening like my uh, parents passed away you know like death loss you know all those things and I wasn't prepared for it I I was very I was about a year or something out of my NFL career and that was the one thing that I remember being with my father towards the end of his life and I said I have to find a path that has a death process a death journey with it he was a Catholic uh, Irish Catholic um, New York City cop beautiful guy but you know he really struggled at the end because of that not having the contact so that's where i started really getting involved when i saw that happen went through a divorce you know that personal stuff that really rocks your boat and says who am i you know who is this guy exactly you know that's really what it came down to with these personal um uh, losses death you know and i said i gotta find something And I don't know, I hope everyone understands this, but I met a a girl that dances down down in Atlanta, Georgia. I was moved down to Atlanta, Georgia to work for a beer company down there. And that was a really big uh, next step for me to get out of New York because I was so, everybody knew me, I played for the Jets. I couldn't leave that identification. So when I got moved down to Atlanta, I met uh, this woman who was a, a yoga practitioner. And she said, why don't you come to one of my classes or I, we're going to go to class tonight. So I went and changed my life. I had a full, another Japanese word is called satori, which is a total embodied present feeling that I never really experienced playing football because you're always in pain. Right. You always hurt. You're always bruised up. You're always Your neck hurts. Your arms hurt. Your knees hurt. So when I was in my first downward facing dog, I had this awakening experience. And I never left. I just stayed. I started studying with that local teacher. And then I went you know, into it full time. I became a yoga teacher uh, for 20, I think it was like oh. 23, 24 years. I, I studied yoga all over the world, got to live all over the world. And that oh. was my beginning of the resurrection of the, you know, the, the spiritual uh, awakening. So and, when um,
0: you got spiritual awakening, so you said yoga really gave you that balance when you figured it out and all these different things to who were the mentors that got you so that you became the coach,
1: the teacher that you were for 24 years. Uh, What the mentor It's a good question. The mentor that, first of all, you know, the football laid in a very armored middle linebacker, you know, you're 240 pounds. I muscle bound at that time. We used to do bench press and squats. You know, So here's this guy, you know, I can hardly move (laughs) out of my own way. So I started doing yoga, and the great mentor that I was attracted to was a man named B.K.S. Iyengar, who had all these props for people like myself. So instead of going touching your hand to the floor, you touch your hand to a chair. You touch your hand to a block. So he had all these props. So that was the man that really opened up the yoga world for me because I probably couldn't do it because I was so muscle-bound and armored. Um, in the beginning. And then as I gradually, I got into, you know, years and years, I got into different uh, forms. There was a guy named Patabi Joyce. And I I used to live in, not live in India, but I used to live in England. And we used to go to India quite often because my uh, girlfriend at the time was a yoga master herself. And she was a senior teacher at BKS Iyengar. So that's where I got into the, uh, go to India, spend, you know, four or five months there studying living you know starting to change right. my whole inner world that was great for me because i had such an american you know apple pie and right. football and all that stuff so going out in this country leaving for a while living in europe for a while it really was a mentor for me there you know the growing up um individuating my own sovereignty uh and all this was you know part of my um my life you know it was really important to continue to become a better person there's a great saying i don't know if you ever in ken wilber he's a, a spiritual teacher and he always says you wake up you grow up and then you show up and i always love that you know because there's a lot of stuff that was left in me from football that i brought into the yoga world i'll be very honest you know, i wasn't a very kind or compassionate yoga teacher in the beginning because I was still working off that ego structure yeah. of a football player. It's not easy to change yeah, that. Exactly. You know, it takes years. So you know, when, know. You talk, when you talk about yoga,
0: define yoga versus meditation. Is it the same? One and the same? Okay, meditation? so this, nothing.
1: You're asking some great questions. So why I start, I think yoga, what they be really discriminating is called hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is the physical poses that you do in a class down the YMCA, that you do in a health club. Um, and what that did for me, if somebody told me to sit on my butt for 30 minutes on a cushion in the beginning, you know, it, I would have went crazy because I had that ADHD and dyslexia and all that. For me, the sitting still, that's why, you know, we go back to the academics. I could never really sit still in class. So I had that uh, personality type. Brilliant on the football field, brilliant on the wrestling mat, brilliant on the track and field. But take me and tell me to sit on a cushion. So the meditation came later on when I started yoga. Yoga was very physical for me, which I needed because that's my that was my sport background. Got into a a very supple kind of movement, uh, more into the chi and the prana that they call the energy, feeling those lines opening up, the meridians. And then when I went to India, one of my trips to India, I started studying with a teacher that taught both the Hatha yoga and then he would sit after class for like 30 minutes. And it was like I was (laughs) paralyzed. I couldn't believe how hard it was. So when I came back to America after I lived in Europe for 10 years, I lived in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery for a while up in. California and Cayucos is a town up there uh, by Mora Bay. And, and I stayed there for like nine months, Tim. And I just studied it deeply and became more of a meditation practitioner. He still did yoga, but like now my days are, I do mostly my practice is sitting in the emptiness. The yoga comes in, the Hatha yoga comes in to loosen up a little bit now, you know, to get more supple. Uh, if I'm feeling tight in my back and moving what well, we just moved, you know, you start feeling contracted i do my yoga practice but my main practices today are the sitting on the meditation and there is a big difference between hatha yoga and meditation what is what do you like better we've done both well now you know as i i'm aging uh, the sitting is so much better and i but i still respect and honor the asanas as they call the poses asanas um, because they had so much impact on me at, as a young, you know, 25, 26-year-old man, um, it really – I have great respect for it. And I respect for India for bringing it over here and picking – and today, you know, you see how popular it is today. You know, every corner there's a yoga studio. Exactly. But now so, meditation is getting popular too. So what do you do now? You're Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing the meditation. I'm teaching uh, – I worked uh, with a group of people out of uh, san francisco called the diamond approach and they bring in inquiry inquiry practices meditation practices a little chanting in the way and that's what i'm doing now i'm i'm finding my uh, groove in the first i um i'll get up and i'll do my sitting practice and then and my wife who you know very well um uh, Gets up and we do inquire. You know, we have, you know, 15, 20 minutes and we talk about what's happening inside us, you know, where we're at, what's going on, what happened yesterday, what, and we don't comment. We don't try to break the circle about, you know, oh, you should do this. You I just let her talk, let her inquire. And then at the end, I ask her a couple of questions and deepen her inquiry. And she then I get a chance, 15, 20 minutes, and it keeps a relationship. I've been married now 18 years, which I, it's a miracle, right? And so, it's the way I feel keeps it fresh, keeps it current, keeps the relationship uh, sparkly, you know, fresh. So, so it really so, has help. So both you and Ayn do the meditation
0: business together in coaching? Together? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, we do it together. Uh, she's not such a sitting. That's where she's working on is it, her sitting practices. And um, she's really, you know, as you know, her uh, writing is her meditation, a lot of more inward, you know, stuff, work. But um, she does, she does quite a bit of the. She uh, we sit before we inquire, you know, for a short period, like ten minutes or so, which is fine. It'll get you in that flow and in that, you know, checking in and making, show you breathing. <laughs> um, so that's where we're at with our practices. Awesome. Where where can people learn more about? Your
0: meditation stuff, so they can learn how they can learn from you and stuff. Where can they go? Yeah, well, the first
1: thing uh, I would recommend, you know, that there's many, many different. I'm not officially uh, teaching meditation, but what I would recommend, you know, what you're called for. The first thing I would, you know, look for is um, someone in the meditation that you um, resonate with, because it's such a personal uh, journey and to make sure that someone has the, the depth and the capacity to help you through your mind, your monkey mind, they call it, which is very you know busy doing this. And, and you have to get really um, in with someone that knows that. There's a lot, Vipassana is a good one because they, they, they sense your body and they sense into the sensations. Uh, Vipassana meditation is great. Uh, the diamond approach has a whole school and they're all over now. The diamond approach is where Uh, I've been hanging out for the past 20-something years. Um, Let's see, where else do I get inspired? Um, There's a a guy named Arthur Kilmurray who is from Boston originally. He's up in the East Coast. But uh, he's a wonderful teacher, and he's doing stuff online, Arthur Kilmurray. He's an uh, Iyengar teacher, but now doing more um, Taoist. and uh, Yeah. So there's there's a lot of good teachers, but I would recommend for the people that really take some time you know take a couple of different classes go around see where the best um, best fit for you personally is that's great so yeah. right
0: now you're not coaching
1: it teaching it you're just more practicing <laughs> no right now I'm not doing any kind of coaching and practicing um Ann and I are working on this book Ain I know you I noticed you called it ain' ain and I are working on this book Lineback to love it's been going on forever so that's how my main focus my body work feels like you know, put this little book together for somebody that walks out of the locker room and instead of getting lost like I did for a couple of years in the black hole, that I'd be able to pass that on to some kid that just got cut and doesn't know where to go, who to hang out with, you know. So that's my um, my dream is to get that out, you know, get it uh, out to the, um, you know, the NFL Players Convention and all that kind of stuff, you know, and get the, the word out that they, you know, you need to have some kind of spiritual path after you're done playing ball yeah it, are you, you going to of going back to
0: tell them in the nfl about that and
1: get, yeah like, for sure you know i still have some good contacts there's some good forward thinking men you know that are in the nfl players association that uh yeah that i when i'm ready for it i know that they'll be open to, and receptive because they want to help the uh, the population the retired players and that's where the ones that are really need help now, because, you know, the young guys, the guys that are playing and the guys just out of the league, they, you know, they, the ego <laughs> is so big and it's so, um, you know, intense that it's hard for them to hear. Uh, but when you get to my age and younger, even, you know, you're just you're more open to the spiritual realms All right, and well, what's possible. possible.
0: Well, appreciate yeah. it. So definitely uh, check you guys out. Appreciate the story. And I think it's great to know about how you've evolved in your career. But I think that NFL players definitely need the same retired ones because meditation again helps promote brain health. Your brain is yes. better. And also your body. Brain is right. the most important thing to help your body move and develop. Without a good brain, you, you your healthy brain, you're not gonna have a healthy body. So that's so important.
1: Yeah, the trauma that we go through, with the brain injuries. Because when I played, they they, they used to tell me, "Oh, you just go get a helmet out of that box." <laughs> <No> <laughs> and you went it. and finished. It, it was you know, it was like it was break my nose, all was coming down. It was wild. It was a different game than it is today. So that's when the trauma, the uh, the concussions helps tremendously. The brain, uh, uh, the meditation, and the stillness, and the and the happy yoga you turn upside down, you do you headstand, you do inversion. So I highly recommend it. And I, I, you know, after talking with you, you know, it does inspire me to get back into that, you know, the book and to get some exercises for these guys and help out, you know, as much as my can, my service, you know, be of service. Be of service. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again, yeah. Tom Patrick, for coming
0: by. You're welcome, uh, Neil. It was a fun conversation. Take care. All
1: right. Thanks very much. I appreciate it.
0: All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in Hi, everyone, and welcome to, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. And I'm excited to welcome to the program, Caregiver Dave and the Sandy. Dave, are you still tired from London? I saw all the pictures everything. It was pretty wild.
2: Yeah, a little jet lag. It takes a while to get rid of it. But I uh, spoke at the London Stock Exchange with Nigel Farage, my new hero the, of Brexit fame, and it was great. Uh, I, it was a whirlwind trip back in three days, which I don't recommend you do. We were supposed to spend several weeks there with my wife, but she just didn't want to go because of COVID.
0: So you're you're in and out and back and now you're ready to roll. And yeah, three guest, COVID Dave.
2: tests. I'm negative yeah. all the way. See, I am
0: getting into this. It's it's. I guess Dave, we're going into themes of horror films, right? This must be horror season. We're getting in October. Are you, and Dave is Dave is skittish about horror films, but this one here will make you think. I viewed the whole film and I loved
2: it. And introduce our guest, Dave. It's just that I get nightmares after I watch it. So I, you know. Anyway, our guest today. Um, my phone just went blank. I'm sorry. My guest today, Pat, Matt Patterson. Sorry about that. Matt Patterson, director of Apartment 13. And uh, it's a horror flick if you haven't figured that out already. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for
3: having me. And uh, just to clarify, it's apartment 413. 413. I think it came back in the thing. In the oh, apartment. typo. Sorry about that. It's right. apartment 413.
0: <laughs> I'm never going to get an apartment 413. I'm never going to be in a hotel in 413. Anything based <laughs> on this. So let's just jump back to kind of your career for a second. Did you always want
3: to be a director? Is that something you wanted to do? Yeah, I w- I actually was just mentioning this uh, to somebody yesterday. I, I used to make you know, I'm going to date myself, but uh, the height of popularity was if you knew somebody or were the person that had a VHS camcorder in middle school and high school. Uh, So I had a friend that Danny who had a VHS camcorder, well, his dad did. So of course, Danny became everybody's best friend. And we would make all these short films, they were horrible, editing from VCR to VCR. And uh, when we started getting towards college time, uh getting into colleges i started realizing oh i'm in theater i'm really enjoying like working with other actors and what the director is doing i had no concept that real people make movies does that make sense like right. you know you grew up watching me like you just they're a thing yeah. and uh and i asked my friends i was like hey guys like who do you think is like directing all this they looked at me like i was stupid <laughs> I'm like well you're you're the one bossing us around i was like oh okay cool so that was kind of like what made me click and uh so then I went to undergrad at Pepperdine, got my theater directing degree, and then I went to the L.A. film school at, and majored in film directing and uh, sound design, actually. And uh, and then I actually started as an AC in 35 millimeter shoots, uh, commercials, music videos, films, and uh, worked my way up after moving to Austin with my wife, a uh, much smaller town, much more affordable housing. <laughs> Compared to L.A., but it might not be for yeah. me.
0: It's not going to happen.
3: No, not anymore. It was in 2004.
0: Now it's not not anymore. Austin is becoming (laughs) a booming, booming city
2: from what I'm hearing. All right, Dave. So Uh, Matt, I want to ask you a question and it's a little philosophical, but um, what is it about thriller films that, that, that sell? I mean, you know, I, I told you before this show that uh, I get nightmares when I watch a thriller film, so I try not to watch them, but boy, everybody watches them. My kids watch them. And what do they just like to be scared out of their wit? And many of them will have nightmares that night. Uh, What's the psychology behind that?
3: I don't get it. I, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, I have memories of we rented a house when I was in third or fourth grade that had HBO. And we never had that, you know, my so we, I remember sneaking down in the middle of the night and probably some slumber party massacre for or something like that. But I just remember being like feeling like I was doing something wrong and there was something fun about it and also being scared but realizing I was okay that it wasn't real, that kind of separation i, I it just kind of hooked me and it's not my favorite genre in the world I, I like everything uh, but there's something about horror now for me though it's smart horror. I don't like the uh, I, I, you know more power to other people but the the gore fests are not my thing. I prefer more cerebral things that are gonna scare you because you have to think about it and it kind of deep seeds in your head
2: so where does chainsaw massacre fit into that, uh... <laughs>
3: <laughs> that yeah that that would definitely be the very 80s uh, naked girls with murder <laughs> happening
0: <laughs> So, so were you did you go back and like some of the 80s stuff of horror films yourself are you that kind of fan of that genre oh yeah I oh yeah you what do you think I, I love 80s I mean I, Freddie Nightmare, yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, Michael
3: Myers. I mean, Jason. It was the best time. Why is horror films not like that? This day? I don't know. My my all time favorite is actually The Thing, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which is like a, a psychological thriller pretending to be a horror movie that's actually an Agatha Christie mystery. Um, so that that's like the pinnacle for me. But yeah, Freddy Krueger is like who? I think it taps into some base fear of like, we all we all get too tired, we can't stay awake. So what happens when we can't control our, our world around us? Yeah. So how
2: has horror films changed over the years? How has it developed? And is it going in a good dile-
3: direction as far as you're concerned? Wow, you're asking really good questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, I feel like it's, it's fractured into so many sub-genres where you used to say like, oh, we had slasher or like horror thriller. And and now there's like, you know, gore, slasher, horror thriller, you know, heist movies. There's like all these all these like uh, genres, which in some ways as a consumer, it's great because you can really dial into the parts that you like. And you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't like these, but I like these over here. Uh, but I think that in, in some other ways, it's uh, because there's so many options, I think it, it allows more of a chance to just throw something against the wall instead of putting as much thought into it.
2: Yeah. So you like the direction it's going?
3: I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, have
0: you directed other things but horror or you've been in other genres too in directing?
3: Yeah, no, I've, I've done several shorts. I've produced four features that I uh, uh, co-wrote two of those. One's a dramedy about a family on vacation. Another one's a sci-tech thriller about... China takes over the U S when everything with a computer chip gets turned off. And then I also produced a raunchy teen comedy. So I, I'm a lover of all, all genres. If it's a good story, that's what I like. Okay. So how did you get hooked up with apartment Four Thirteen? How did that happen? Yeah. So I had a project that I'd been working on for years, um, writing packaging through a huge agency and it just fell apart. Like a lot of times it does. So I had this budget, a small budget sitting here, uh, that I, I was able to raise separately. And I just, I just wanted to make something. I figured maybe I'm the problem. So I'll find a script. You know, my background's theater. I don't mind other people's writing. I think it's great. Uh, so I found this script on a website called Ink Tip, which is a, a private website for writers uh, and producers to find scripts. And uh, I thought it was great. And it was something that we could do quickly. It was small, lo- one location, a couple actors, and we could just hit the ground running and, and have fun making it. Yeah.
2: I, I wanted to ask what, what's a good formula for a horror film? I mean, how long, how many minutes into the film should you go where everything just looks normal and, and you wonder if it's even a thriller. And then finally, you know, the switch goes and, and ah, how, how many <laughs> minutes does it take for a good successful film uh,
3: for that to happen?
2: Is there a formula?
3: Oh yeah. I'm sure that there, there's lots of formulas. I think that's actually where I, I, <clears throat> maybe i'm also just getting older but i think that the way that it's headed is everything needs to be right up in your face in the first scene and never play
2: in in other words yeah and i and
3: i like you know my favorite author stephen king who takes 300 pages just to introduce you to the characters before anything happens and uh i think that i like a slow burn which apartment 413 i believe (laughs) is it definitely uh It has like a one act or one scene at the very beginning, and then it's a slow burn, get to know the characters care about them and then things start to happen. And so for me, I think it's that break from the second act into the second act. So 17, 20 minutes in is when you should really, now you're investing the characters. So when things start happening, you believe it and you care.
0: And Uh, that is, you. so I agree with you in that fact that (laughs) hits you first with this thing, like, oh my, here we go. Right off the bat, hit you with something and you're questioning two years before Hmm, and then you go into the characters you really get to understand the characters and then things go crazy but i think what it did is it took you in a roller coaster ride to see who really's the good character and who really isn't the good character and what's
3: happening without giving it away right yeah and that's what i like i i don't want to be able to figure out a movie from the beginning i I'm smart, but I don't want to be that smart. I want to, you know, I want to be challenged and tricked. Uh, to me, that's part of the fun, and that doesn't that doesn't matter if it's a comedy, a mystery, or a horror film. To me, yeah,
2: you know, I was watching the uh, the trailer, and there was a a line in it that said, "And they fight back," um, without giving away the plot or too much of it. Um, is that a, a different twist in your thriller than most of them, where they? they just said, you know, we're going to fight back and whatever it is that's coming, that
3: is? Um, you know, I'm, you got me at a loss. I'm not sure where that is yeah. in the trailer.
0: So I think it started to fight back, it's like really where it just like goes goes definitely awry. But let, let's kind of jump into more um, about this is the characters. Let's talk about the characters so Dave can understand a little bit about why this apartment 413 people can really resonate especially if they're in a room with just another person stuck 24 7 with them or even half the time especially yeah
3: thinking that's COVID great two. covid 2 definitely brings that out where you're just stuck <laughs> going lower yeah yeah so we've got we've got the main character marco who is out of work looking for work Today, you don't go knocking on doors. You sit at home in your underwear looking for work on a computer, which is lonely and isolating. And I think, like you said, after spending a year of everybody doing that, uh, it really resonates even more. But he's got to find a job because his girlfriend's pregnant and they, he needs to get a job before the baby comes. And while he's at home, weird things start happening. Post-it notes from somebody are being left around with really invasive, uh, cruel things being said. Uh, burner phone starts ringing, leaving him messages uh, that... He doesn't know who it's from but casting doubt on the fidelity of his his girlfriend and and then things get weird like it just escalates from there and you really start to wonder is marco losing his mind and dana is so sweet his his girlfriend uh she's a teacher she she cares about him but it's just this struggle of uh, can you ask for help if you don't even know what you're asking for help for and uh, we start to fear for her safety even but we also i i hope And Neil, tell me if this resonated for you. You're you're so desperate to figure out what's going on with Marco because you kind of like him. Yeah. And you don't want him to be bad.
0: Yes. (laughs) And he really honestly wasn't that. Maybe. I don't know. It's again the ending, just forget (laughs) it. It's like, what happened? So if that's yeah. the thing and that makes you think and then you start thinking about so many different things from the beginning to the end and you got to figure it out. So Dave, you have to watch it. Okay, so I'm going to get I'm going to go with really one question that I really think is, even though you said it's a lower budget film, this is really well done from beginning. Oh, to end, it was a, so what's the feedback been so far?
3: People have seen the film. Uh, it's been great. We, we were able to premiere at Cinequest Film Festival before everything shut down. Uh, then we ran it, finished our festival run at the Austin Film Festival. Um, so we got to have, uh, a lot of different audiences reactions live, which was fantastic. In fact, that opening scene came from feedback from our first screening when we were like, Oh, we need something that kind of hits in the beginning. So we went back and reshot that oh, and, and added that. Yeah, that wasn't in the original, uh, uh, version. Um, but reactions been great. Uh, I think everybody has, um, you know, it's not a Marvel movie. It's not going to have huge explosions and giant budget. And it's, it's, it is an indie film, but I, our actors are fantastic. I think Nicholas Sains who plays Marco he's really had, good. he's so good. And finding him was the best thing that ever happened to us because he's got to play a really big range and he's literally in every single scene. So he has, car- he has to carry that movie. And then Bria Grant, who I love, we've been friends since 2010 with my uh, film *An Ordinary Family, when it came out, we met at the LA Film Festival. Um, she was such a treasure. In fact, when I found the script, I sent it to her to ask if I was crazy for liking it. And she told me I'd be crazy if I didn't make it and then cast her to be in it. So uh, hearing you say that you felt like it was really well done and everything else is a, a huge testament to me. It, it makes me feel great, and especially for my cast and crew that worked so hard on it.
0: No, I mean, I, I thought it was well done. And the fact is it just, it's just a different type of horror film. And then it makes you think at the end. And that's where the, the questions come where I'm not going to say here, but people will have to definitely uh, give more
3: feedback. And I'm sure that the film festival, that ending kind of had people questioning, right? Yeah. My favorite was grabbing a beer with everybody after the screening and just being peppered with questions and well, what about this? And what about this? And that, that gets me excited because it means they're engaged and they care enough to see like, how does it connect at the end? So, Dave, do you have any of
0: those stories where you're stuck in like a specific hotel room or apartment where it's kind of like really draw and just uh, you never know what's going to happen, type of thing? Yeah,
2: remember we we interviewed uh, about that movie in Malibu. Uh, that was a really good one. Yeah, because it, it set you up pretty pretty good. I wanted to ask, um, how do you um, how did you find that amazing cast of characters?
3: So, like I said, luckily with uh, Bria, we've been friends for a while, so she. I had no choice but to cast her because she had told me she'd kill me if she didn't, if I didn't. Um, Nick was a, a bit of a roller coaster to find. I, ha- I was working with some casting directors, uh, then my friends from working on other features and other projects around town. And then I actually trolled uh, some agency websites and found him and, and saw his demo tape. And I reached out to my agents and were like, oh, yeah, he auditioned. It wasn't good enough. And so I had them send me the tape and I was like, no, wait, he's perfect. So this weird circular, like I actually met with him outside of them and he, and he's like, no, no, I auditioned for this movie
2: already. And you, and you didn't know about it? No, I, I had no idea.
3: So it was, it was just this bizarre thing so where the
2: casting director just kind of keeps that. He just shows you what, what he likes.
3: Well, yeah. Cause he's like, all right, you had 700 people, wow. 700 shots sent in, you know, video of people in front of their like webcam doing it. And so here's the top, you know, 20.
2: Well, why didn't they like him? Did you find out?
3: I don't know. He,
0: was, <laughs> you, he <laughs> really a- did a really good job. I'm telling you. And just, just really the character definitely uh, went ups and downs throughout the whole process. But it also showed you the laziness of people who don't want to go find a job. And so there's themes to this. And I'm going to ask that question. Matt, were there themes to this specifically enough
3: that you wanted people to take away from this film? Oh yeah, a ton. Uh, you know, if you want to go back to the whole genre thing, my, my goal is always, it doesn't matter what the gimmick is or the genre is. If at the core it's not a good story for, so for this, I wanted it to be just a good drama piece of relationships and how hard they are. And then you add the horror in and the thriller in, and I, I hope it just makes it more interesting. Um, but the themes for me, it's like, yeah, this, this, Thing we're taught about masculinity about providing and what it means to be a man and, and whether it's okay to ask for help especially around mental health uh that was a huge theme that i wanted to wrestle with and then i mean i'll be honest i don't know if you guys have noticed but things have been weird in america for the last six years or so with this uh, some weird politics stuff some stuff going on and i've i've had friends and family that have said things that have made me go whoa i don't know them at all and uh, so this script for me was kind of like a way for me to kind of wrestle through that and try to find a way to love someone who I don't necessarily agree with the way they perceive reality, but I have to still humanize them. Yes. If that makes that, sense at it, all. You really did
0: a well job. So what's up next for you? Do you have another projects coming up after this?
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in uh, raising funds right now for a feature uh, that is, I think will be fun two of them actually, one is a werewolf on the border where some uh, vigilante border patrol people stop a truck of illegal immigrants and they both start getting hunted by a werewolf <laughs> at night and uh, have to team up to survive. Um, yeah werewolves never get old, do they? <laughs> no, but they're really miss they're not used enough. Everybody loves the sparkly vampires uh, so I think it could be a lot of fun and then uh, I've got another one that is like a straight drama based on a true story. Uh, about a woman that was held hostage with her kids for five days and uh, managed to keep the kids from knowing that they were even being held hostage. Oh, wow. uh, it's a really amazing true story. And uh, I can't wait to see that one get made. All right, Dave. Dave's question is the last question before
0: we can know it now about the film and how we can watch it on VOD. But go ahead, Dave, with your caregiving question.
2: Well, I've been married 47 years. My wife had a stroke halfway through. She lost yeah. her speech, became paralyzed on one side. In fact, we're having a, a film made about our life. And I was going to ask you before this question was uh, how many film festivals did you actually apply to and how many applied back? But well, you can mention that afterwards. So, you know, I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, and I now have done like 50 TV shows, uh, about 25 uh, stages. I just got back from, um, from London, as I mentioned. Uh, if I believe that if you're not a caregiver today, just wait, you're either going to become one, you're going to need one. My question to you is, um, how has caregiving touched your life, if it has,
3: uh, with your parents, oh, grandparents, parents, friends? Great. Ah, it's such a wonderful question. It, is, uh, it has made me go from thinking I was a good person to finding out that I had a lot of work to do on myself. Uh, from being a parent, I have a 14-year-old and, and 11-year-old daughters. And then my dad moved in with us a few wow. years ago. Uh, and he is now, uh, my third teenager, we say in our house, <laughs> eating the food and complaining about it and, um, not helping around the house too much. Well, reversal. Uh, but he is, yeah. But it's been amazing for my daughters to be able to grow up with Papa in the house. Uh, and it's been good because my parents got a divorce when I was younger. So I'm getting to live with my dad again, but we, it's 35 years later. So it's a totally different dynamic. And, what condition uh, is he
2: in? I mean, does he have dementia or anything?
3: Uh, he is uh, partially disabled ability mobility. Um, broke both of his feet several years ago oh. and, uh, when I was 15, so a lot of years ago. Um, and it's gotten incrementally worse as he's gotten older. And then just you know, stre- check everything off at the box when you, you fill out at the doctor's office of all the things, and he's got them all. So, well, uh, bless
2: you for having it in your heart to do that. Not everybody would shows no it's, your character i mean
3: I, you, you don't have a choice it's your parents you gotta, <laughs> gotta love them well
2: some people wouldn't agree with you but yes i agree <laughs> that's awesome all right. all right so go to caregiverdave.com to
0: find out more information so matt the question is how are you going to help caregiver dave when he's applying for different yeah. film festivals does that process work
2: yeah how many how many did you actually oh, apply to and how
3: many uh did you hear back from for this film um I think we applied to about 20 and got into uh, just a few. They don't respond really unless you get in. Uh, Well, you might get in a rejection letter after they've already published everybody that got in. Uh, But one of my films, An Ordinary Family, we got into over 40 film festivals. Uh, One the New Orleans Film Festival for Best Feature Film. Um, And uh, that one we applied to probably about 20, got into five or six but because of the buzz from the first few more started inviting us to screen. Uh, So that's really the way to get in and start getting invited, which is, I don't know how to break that secret sauce. It didn't happen (laughs) with this one. Uh, But I will say the biggest thing, I have friends who are programmers on at certain festivals, like here in Austin at the Austin film festival, and everybody will say apply early uh, and only send in your film when it is done and you're proud of it and it's ready to show. So make sure it's ready. You only get one shot to send it across their desk and send it in at the early, early, early bird uh, entry time. Got it. And start at the ones at the beginning of the calendar and kind of work your way through.
0: Okay. All right. Well, awesome. And Matt, where can we check out the
3: film and stuff? Where's the best place? Uh, So we have uh, screenings on YouTube and things like that where you can chat with filmmakers. But right now it's also released on Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch it right now. Uh it's coming, it's on Tubi and a couple other of those ad-supported ones like Crackle. It is coming out soon on the Roku uh platform and uh several other ones. If you want to see all the entire list, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at apartment 413.
0: All right. Well, fantastic. I'm telling you, this this is again a treat, and I'll have to talk to Matt off air or he has <laughs> to shoot me a message or something about the end the, the ending because the ending will get you going dave i'll definitely send you the screener
2: so you can watch it okay and uh, i'm not going to have nightmares right no he's not going to have nightmares he's going
0: to be perplexed and wonder make sure that you don't have any burner phones in the house that's all for right. sure i'll <laughs> check it out on uh, amazon <laughs> it's probably. gonna that's it, gonna drive you nuts and then there you go <laughs> all right i appreciate you guys thanks again thanks all right, guys. Very much. all right guys that was the caregiver dave celebrity segment take care guys Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. I'm excited to work with the program, Dr. Shannon Panza. Dr. Shannon, what's going on? How are you?
4: Oh, hey. Uh, how would you put it? Good morning, Australia and the rest of the world.
0: <laughs> are you going to get a sip on the Barbie today, Dr. Shannon?
4: Well, that's, uh, that's kind of a colloquialism, but uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't stoked up the Barbie in a while. I should. It would be, uh, it would be good to do.
0: Is Paul Hogan still the the most famous Australian?
4: Probably. I I think he's the most recognized uh, probably anywhere in the world as as a leading Australian, even though I don't even think he lives here anymore. But that's okay too. Uh, He still seems to get out there and uh, represent us.
0: Maybe it's, maybe it's Nemo now. Maybe Nemo is the most famous. But let's go ahead and jump right into today's topic. And that's your mentor. You learned photographic memory uh, from Dr. Richard Welsh. And it's really interesting to look at how that introduction happened. We've talked about certain things. We talked about because of meeting him and how your life was saved when a factory almost exploded and you saved your life from that horrible explosion. But let's go right into this, particularly enough, just talking about how you met Dr. Richard Welch and look at specifically his background more. Go ahead.
4: Okay. Well, Dr. Richard Welch, um, his, uh, his basic history was that he, uh, he dealt with finances for, uh, for people. Uh, he was a professional baseball player uh, early on in his life. He had a lot of successes. He, he had climbed a lot of mountains and he found that, uh, he was still wanting. So what he did is he found the next big mountain, which is the mountain that you keep climbing and you keep growing with. And that is, uh, you know, how to use your mind better, how to use everything else better. And this is what led him to the discovery of mental photography. Now this all started back in 1975. Uh, he went out and he, uh, uh, he bought a uh, speed reading company and he found out in, in six months time that the, uh, the whole speed reading industry was, uh, uh, basically he asked certain questions of all the different, uh, all the different so-called gurus at that time, including Evelyn Woods as to, uh, what happens to the words that are no longer so vocalized whenever you speed read And this is actually what led to discovery because no one could answer that one question. It's a logical question. If you're speed reading, you're missing or so-called missing more words than what what you'd be reading. And so that didn't stand the logic. What happens with those words? Well, since we're... since. Uh, since the graph actually shows that speed reading is faster and actually better in comprehension than reading, then, then what we find is that's a logical question to ask is, well, why? Why would, uh, why would it become more effective and more efficient by going at higher speeds than reading where you're not catching all the words? Why would that be important? Well, he was asking the, the one question that no one could answer. So he set out to find the answer. The answer is actually mental photography. As you go faster and faster uh, at around 25,000 words per minute, you can no longer, uh, you can no longer visually see the words so that you can actually sub vocalize them. So you launch into something new called mental photography. Now often that, until that time nobody had really uh been able to explain uh where the photographic memory fit into all this and what ended up happening is he ended up uh discovering mental photography which uses photographic memory in order to do what we need to do uh that's that's really uh that's really where he started with this now uh he was a type of person that he really wanted to help people. And he really wanted to put things out there that were going to be helpful to people. Uh, he had, um, uh, he had people working for him, uh, people, instructors and such. And he actually, for a very short amount of time, he put this in the, uh, uh, one of the Arizona state, uh, school systems. Right. And he had such wonderful results there such screamingly great results there that the school system put on the brakes, said, oh, wait, this is too scary because you're turning our children into geniuses literally overnight, and we can't have that because you're you're basically undermining the way that the school system works, which is slow and laborious. So, anyhow, uh, whenever it came time to renew his contract into the school system, well, uh, they they bought a school bus instead, one that would ship the school the, uh, the sports teams around, and that was that was more important than the children learning how to do something absolutely spectacular. So okay, well, we then know what the school system's all about. It's uh, about controlling people down to a certain level. And as long as you can learn within those parameters, that's fine too.
0: (laughs) And that's crazy to think about in schools. But I mean, when you talk about Dr. Richard Wells, how he discovered this, you talked about his abilities, professional uh, ability, and also his professional ability in sports. How did he come up with this he thought this through with the speed reading but mental photography did he do research into it and other people that have been before dr richard welsh and learning this teaching this well
4: there was there was one particular uh teacher back in the 1950s that discovered this as well but um and he wrote a book uh damn the school systems full steam ahead which again portrays what what we faced as well as we as we went through this, um, but outside of that person, no one really explored this way because everybody was interested in kowtowing to the school system, and uh, basically Richard Welch funded his own uh, his own research, and he was he was led uh, he was led to do it that way so that this would be developed as a separate. Um, a separate brain discipline, uh, where it wasn't reliant upon other disciplines. So that's that's what he did. Now that research, uh, one of the pieces of research was that uh, they were using a testiscope to flash information at incredible speeds, over a million wow. uh, over a million words per minute, and they found that uh, everyone, given enough time with this machine could actually learn to recognize those symbols at the symbols and such and words and, and paragraphs at a very high level of speed and this is subliminal speeds if you will right so what ended up happening is he discovered the, the technical way to do it and he was also he was also taking a look at how the brain reacted to this level of information. And this actually super excites all levels of consciousness at the same time. So it really does some great things in the brain. It, it really pipes up what you're doing. So the petisciscope uh, the, the was one thing and the, the brain analysis on metal photography was another. And these were conducted by research universities uh, you know, on his behalf because he was paying for the studies to be done and uh eventually that's why that's why he was able to uh that's why he was able to keep the uh all the data secret is because he funded it himself okay. and everybody was sworn on to, to secrecy agreements ndas what have you so <clears throat> anyhow uh so he took this information and he started building the uh the mental photography the brain management and over time, he was able to uh, over time he was able to establish a good routine on how to do this. One of the first things that we used with the mental photography was the Einstein's Distraction Index, which we still have today as lesson number one, because it is so valuable to be able to concentrate and uh, just turning pages, uh, turning pages, taking tests. Some of the uh, some of the original people were getting, uh, you know, six hundred six thousand words per minute uh, with ninety to ninety five percent recall, and they made it they made it look very very easy, and it is, and this is actually this is actually the normalcy of the human state. This is the way that we are actually supposed to be normally. But we're led to believe through a series of uh, through a series of beliefs, we're led to believe that this is not the way that this, that whenever you read, which is actually a taught uh, it's a taught brain structure. Whenever you learn to read, you have to read every word verbatim to get the information. Well, this isn't true and it can be proven statistically otherwise. Whereas mental photography photography allows you to get 100% of the information and it's stored for life. Okay. And because our brain is set up on a dynamic system that changes with us over time, that memory of all that, of all that information is retained. And this is what allows us to actually keep that information for our entire life. Uh, Now, when it came to Richard Welch, he made continuous discoveries all along and he used There was 10 years, imagine this, 10 years of simplification down to a strict formula, how to get results. And that strict formula is what is in Zoxpro.com. How
0: did
3: you meet Dr. Richard Welch? How did that happen?
4: Excuse me?
3: How'd you meet him?